through these scriptures, Jesus, that are inspirational and searching causes us to wonder and hope and seek you. Let they be um, helpful, timely, and achieve the purpose that you want from them. Amen. So this is a little bit of a postscript rather than going through the sermon that I preached. Uh, the essence of what I spoke about um, last Sunday morning about the presence of God was in a personal kind of journey in my journey of faith of, of wondering and thinking and, and, and pondering these things. Uh, and that reminder that, that when we talk about the presence of God, we're not in this ambiguity that he's sometimes here, sometimes not. That he is always with us. And I, I focused on, on many of the scriptures that, that, that talk about that. The reminder in, in Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? If I go to the highest heights, the de- lowest depths, you are there. And multi- multiple times. The reminder that God is with us. The Anglican liturgy, the Lord is here. Some of you know that. Our Anglican friends here, we're not that prompt in it. I think they're going to abandon that. Uh, but that's true, that reminder the Lord is here, His Spirit is with us. Always true. But then there's this also this sense in Scripture that, that uh, as I described it uh, last Sunday morning, that there's this sense of the intensification of His presence. Moses refers to it here. He says, if your presence doesn't go with us, Time and time again that there are these moments in Scripture where it seems that God is particularly there. He's always there, but intensification of that. Of, in all sorts of ways, there are the things that get called theophanies, those God appearings uh, of the cloud or the fire or the wind or the, the sort of, the, the, there's all sorts of ways. Or the appearance of God sometimes in, in human form. Times that people just are heavy. And I made the point that that doesn't just happen in a temple or a sacred space. It happens there and other places. And I reminded us that Elijah in the depth of despair, of the struggle of his life, in, even in what many would describe now as depression, he ran off and was in that cave. And the Lord met him. The Lord loves to meet us. And so just, uh, I didn't have a chance to go through all of the things I wanted to say. So these are just some uh, kind of postscripts, I guess, and, and add to, to what Phil was uh, sharing this morning. That there is this intensification. But as the psalmist says, he longs to seek for the presence of God. I will long to dwell in your temple all the days of my life. That sense it's better there than a thousand elsewhere. The the love of God is is all things. So we've said that God's spirit is everywhere, that there's an intensification of that. But sometimes the scriptures also speaks about an apparent absence of God. That there's a number of times um, that it seems for the believer or for the seeker that God is absent or distant. People describe it as, as prayers bounce off the ceiling or, or that seeking of God and, and where is he? And, and scripture does have these times that I, I speak about the 
apparent absence because God is never gone. He's always here, His Spirit is with us. But there is an apparent absence of God. Uh, and sometimes scripture uses language of, to, of, of God seeming to hide or withdraw or even forsake. Psalm 22, verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's not just kind of flapping lips. There was that real sense in the psalmist picked up with Jesus of where are you, God? I just want to highlight in this seeking of God, and that's what we are, are all into here, of, of seeking more of God and of all that he would have for us. But the scriptures teach that he is always here, that he intensifies that, but there are times that he seems to be uh, absent or to withdraw, and just to think a little bit about why, and then to bring back the context of the hope. Scripture is really clear, particularly from moving from this foundation of God's people in Exodus, of, of him calling out a people, a chosen nation, and establishing them to be the light and the witness to all nations. That there comes with that huge privilege, the, the sense that what they do and who they are matters. And then the grand scheme of God's purposes with his people, over the course of decades and centuries, there's this sort of sitting loose to God. There's a sense of, of people of God taking God for granted and thinking, oh, God's always here. Who I am and what I do doesn't matter. And God said it does. That after a series of, of centuries, God brings them to the point of exile. That Rather than having been the people of God in the land that God has promised and be a blessing to the nation, all of that gets stripped away from them. The covenant with Abraham gets removed and they get exiled. And there's, the temple is destroyed and the, the place that God had said, I will purposely dwell in that, set, in that holy place amongst you in the middle of your national life is decimated. It's gone. That all the things that would signify the presence of God, gone. And they're left with this, where are you God? What has happened? And scripture is really clear on, on why. That sin, that old-fashioned word, but is universal. Sin affects our awareness of the presence of God. Micah, the prophet, would say this in uh, chapter 3, verse 4. Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. At that time, he will hide his face from them because of the evil they've done. Or in Isaiah chapter 59, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And Ezekiel in exile and the outcome of all that God had said would happen because of their rebellion and their godlessness. has some quite strong words. He says, and he said to me, son of man, do you see what they are doing? the utterly detestable things the Israelites are doing here, things that will drive me far from my sanctuary. That though God is always with us, and our desire is for those wonderful moments where God draws close, that intensification of that awareness of Him, that our attitude needs to be, Lord, I seek you, I long for you, I will put you first, not seeking our own self, our own ways, and to reject God. Sin can hide and cause us not to, to see him, to 
experience him, to know him, to feel that he's absent. That's why always we, we come back to the cross. That when we have messed up, stuffed up, gone our own way, come back to that place of grace and mercy. Run back to him. And say, Lord, I'm so, so sorry. Forgive me, I repent. Do not turn your face from me. Do not withdraw from me. Do not cast me from your presence. You see, there's this sense in the scriptures that that God's presence, God in, in his grace doesn't force himself upon us. We often pray, come Holy Spirit, that invitation, though he's here to say, come, we, we want for you, we long you, we, we need you. Without you, we are nothing. Come Holy Spirit. But we can equally hold the Lord at arm's length or even push him away. It seems bizarre. But the Lord honors that. Ultimately, consistent rejection of God, of turning from him, kind of leads to his wrath. Wrath not in a a thunderbolt of lightning and strike you down, but in that sense of wrath being the allowing of God to outwork outwork the consequence of our choice. Romans 1 talks about that quite a lot, that when people say, okay, we'll live this way regardless of what you have said, he allows his wrath to unfold, okay, live with the consequence. But he does always call us back. Words of hope. Isaiah 54 verse 8. In a surge of anger I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness I will have compassion on you. Says the Lord your Redeemer. Ezekiel a little bit later in chapter 39. I will no longer hide my face from them. For I will pour out my spirit on the people of Israel. Declares the Lord. And Hosea again, then I will return to, to my lair until they have borne, the guilt, borne their guilt and seek my face. In their misery, they will earnestly seek me. We seek him. We seek him. And just a, a couple of thoughts on, on seeking him and his face. That... There's, there's this wonderful ambiguity in, in Exodus of, the peop- of, of Moses seeking God and seeing him face to face and his, his face shines. And then people kind of say, oh, it's too much for us. You be the mediator, Moses. And then Moses says, let me see your glory. And, and God says, okay, we'll, we'll be up the mountain, and, but you can't see my face. And you'll just see my back. And there's something here for us as we seek God and are passionate for him about God's love to draw close and reveal himself, but still kind of maintain something of, uh, of, of the more of him, but not always in his fullness. Do you, do you know what I mean by that? That as we seek God, as we encounter him, there's, there's a sense of there's still yet more of him. There's still more of his love and his grace and his power. But we've not yet fully apprehended everything of him. We see 
in part through a glass darkly. Something about the story of Moses and seeing the face of God, and, and, but of only being allowed in the, in the revelation of his glory and goodness to see his back, is something about God's kindness to us. What do I mean? Well, I think there's something about, about God wanting to not so overwhelm us that we are so kind of without the ability to choose faith. We're never taken to the point where we lose our ability to choose and be free. What do I mean by that? Well, if God would be fully present, I mean, imagine that thing. Now, let God just come and fully reveal himself in all his poor. There would be a sense of of any ability in us to to kind of not just go, there's there's not a shadow of a doubt left. Do you know what I mean by that? It would be so utterly convincing that there would no longer need to be the place of faith. And faith is really important. Now, until the Lord returns, and Philippians helps us with this to say that, you know, at one point when Jesus returns, every knee will bow in heaven on earth and confess Jesus is Lord. But at this moment, we're called to believe in Jesus, to have faith and trust as an, as an expression of our love for him that is freely given, that is, comes from that choice within us. Yeah, we will believe. But if Jesus re- revealed himself in, in his manifest glory at this point, then there would be no place for that faith. We would be utterly convinced. We may not want that. We'd be utterly convinced. There's a sense as, as, as God says, I will show you my back. And then every time that that intensification of his presence comes, it's not a full and final revelation. That it draws us close to God and we go, we marvel at it and, are, and, it, and it shapes our life experience. But we still have to go on with that faith journey. That God reveals himself but allows us still to have the response of faith. The response to choose to believe, to seek him, to say, yes, I will love you and follow you. And I find that really annoying because I want it cut and dried. That as I seek God, I say, Lord, let me, let me know without a shadow of a doubt. Let me just be so convinced. And there have been times that I kind of go, oh, it's the Lord. And then the days come on, and, and it's not that that experience was invalid or belittled in any way, but the challenges of the next day mean that we seek the Lord in the present. And there are past reminders, but we still journey on. And it, it kind of gets caught up with a little bit of Jesus, that Jesus, as Phil was saying this morning, is the exact representation of, of the Father. John 14, the quote, Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place to you, and where are you going, they say. It. And he says, I'm going to the Father to prepare a place. And, and they say, we don't know the way. And Jesus says, and they say, show us the Father. And Jesus says, if you look at me, if you see me, you've seen the Father. But were they convinced? That even as they beheld God incarnate, God with us, there was still for the disciples, still until he returns, this reminder that, that we are to follow him and step out in faith. And it will be at times uncertain. 
John the Baptist, the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, who baptized Jesus and saw the Spirit fall and, and heard the, the voice of God, this is my son whom I love and well pleased with him. Came to a point when he was arrested and, and sent word, are you the one? I mean, they, he knew Jesus and Jesus said, kind of in a roundabout way, yes, but he said, look what I do and look what is happening and the signs of the kingdom. And the disciples and all those who were touched by him and healed by him and, uh, and saw him. And, uh, you know, and even Thomas, after resurrection, who hadn't physically seen Jesus risen, was said, unless I see him and touch his hands inside, I, I can't believe. And when that happened, Jesus said something profound. Blessed are those who do not see but believe. That in our Christian journey... We seek the Lord and, and we wait upon him and we ask for more of him and he graciously comes close and at times intensifies his presence and it's a marvelous thing. And it draws us to Jesus. And we step out in faith. Hear that sometimes it seems that God is, is distant or absent and we need to assess our heart in that as individuals and as a church. And as a nation. And repent. That wonderful verse we've had as a church for a long time. From two chronicles. If my people who are called by my name. Seek my face and turn from there. You know it. But also as we seek him and ask and, and fall in love with him more as he blesses us. To journey onwards with him, to know there is more of him, to not become just content, complacent, but more Lord, more Lord, more Lord. Let's pray together.